Good evening. Good evening, men. Um, I'm Kevin Donnelly. Um, I've been living down here in Long Beach for about 25 years. I spent uh, the first eight or nine years as a, as a parishioner of uh, Miraculous Metal, and then I moved down to uh, St. Mary's. And uh, it's kind of hard for me to stand up here and, uh, and give this talk tonight, um, not just because of the public speaking aspect of it, although that's hard too, but I guess um, what I'm feeling is what they call imposter syndrome. Um, it's a feeling like, who am I to stand up here and talk about my faith? Because if I'm honest, most of the time, I feel like I'm just mailing it in. And uh, I show up to Mass on Sundays, check the box. Yeah, I volunteer and help out, help out around here a lot. But at the end of the day, sometimes I really struggle with going deep in my relationship with God. And uh, so I've been really lucky over the past decade since Father Brian came to Long Beach. I've kind of had a front row seat to the magic that's unfolded here into what we now know as Beach Catholic. Primarily think through things like the Parish Council, uh, the Finance Committee, I've been a, a trustee for St. Mary's, uh, and running some of the dances and events. And, uh, and man, I think you'll agree how lucky we are to all be a part of something so special like we've, what we've got going on down here in Long Beach. And uh, I'm sure you've all heard Father Brian talk along the way about what it was like for our parents' generation growing up in Brooklyn and Queens and uh, you know where your parish was your community. You know, you didn't, you didn't grow up in East New York, you grew up in St. Teresa's. And uh, I know a lot of you feel like I do that how blessed we are to, to have this faith community down here a part of our lives. And um, we're really lucky to have some of that special parish life from a different era as part of our lives here on the Barrier Island. And uh, some of Lisa and my closest friendships have grown out of being a part of this extended parish. And, uh, but most of what I've been involved in here to some extent has been mostly related to the business side of things. Um, when things come up around the more spiritual elements of what goes on around here, I kind of shy away. Um, other than Beach Mass, that is. I was in the room when we came up with that one. But uh, over the course of the last year or so, Father Brian started asking me, hey, you know, would you like to do a talk at one of the holy hours or one of the retreats? And honestly, uh, you know, I felt unworthy. And uh, so I just politely declined saying, yeah, may maybe in the fall. And, uh, and I think maybe he started to see some of the changes in me in the past couple of years as our conversations have become less about the business stuff and more about the spiritual nature of things. And uh, I kind of kept a low profile about it, but I quit drinking a, a few years ago and um, it's changed a lot of things in my life. And um, recently I think maybe I started to figure out some stuff and, and I had some realizations. And I guess it occurred to me a couple of weeks ago when he asked me once again if I'd consider giving a talk tonight that standing up here and sharing a bit of my story is really as much uh, for me as it is for all of you. And I guess it's about me trying to get clear on or convince myself of something by speaking it out loud. And uh, so coincidentally, Father Brian and I grew up in the same parish in uh, OLV in Floral Park. And uh, 
since he's a little bit older than I am, we really didn't have too much interaction when we were kids. I think uh, he was in the eighth grade when I was in the third grade or something like that. But uh, when I met him here in Long Beach for the first time, I, I recognized him instantly, probably because he's had that same haircut for 50 years. <laughs> and uh, it was just, just a little less gray back then. And uh, we, we were both altar boys. And uh, I was also super lucky because my parents did everything they could to raise me in the faith. Uh, I went through 16 years of Catholic school. I went to, after OLV, I went to Archbishop Malloy. And we got a lot of standards down here in the Barrier Island. If we got any in the house tonight. Um, and I went to Providence College. And uh, my, my dad actually was, was going to be a priest himself, he thought. Um, he went through the seminary uh, through high school, but ultimately God had uh, other plans for him. Thank goodness for my brothers and sisters and I. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. Um, he went on to marry my mom and raise uh, five kids and have 17 grandkids and build a wonderful career and life for himself until uh, we lost him a couple months ago. And uh, as a child, my dad's best friend was uh, his best friend from high school, which was the seminary. So uh, it, was a, it was a priest, Father Jack Boylan, and, uh, who was like my Uncle Jack. And um, he was the coolest. He was, he was, you know, for back then, he was like an old school version of Father Brian. He was the only priest I'd ever seen wear jeans. And uh, he'd come over the house and, you know, spend a lot of time with us and talk about faith and... and um, I remember specifically him talking about, regardless of what religion you chose, that just the need for organized religion. And so, so for sure, I was given the faith, the gift of faith as a young man. And um, I'd even go far to say that when I was on a retreat in high school, uh, I had what you could call a, a spiritual or religious experience. And uh, I didn't get stuck by, struck by a bolt of lightning or anything, but um, you know, I felt God tap me on the shoulder and, and let me know he was there. And uh, it's one of those things you, you never really forget. And, um, but as it happens, a lot of the time to many of us as we grow older, especially when we hit college and, and stuff, we get disconnected from our faith. And uh, in college, you know, your priorities can get screwed up. And um, for me, it became about, you know, where's the party at? And uh, if you go to a college filled with predominantly Irish kids from the suburbs of Boston and Long Island, there's a, there's a party going on all the time. And, uh, you know, college flies by, and then you start working, and uh, once again, I came back to New York and started working in the city, and when, you, when you're in, in your early 20s in Manhattan, there's a party going on there, too, every night. And, uh, you know, fortunately for me, it never really got in the way. I, I, I kind of had the work hard, play hard mentality, and uh, fortunately, I fell into work that I loved, and uh, I was involved in uh, telecommunications installation, you know, back when the internet got going. And, uh, you know, I started working uh, for a bank on Wall Street and then ultimately uh, left. And when I was 27 years old, I figured I learned enough and I started my own small business. Um, and, then, and then it became like next level. It was, you know, there was no boss, no rules. And, um, but, you know, I kind of graduated from being a technician to being a sales guy. And um, I discovered I could merge my passions of uh, partying and working as I uh, devised a highly effective sales strategy of finding every party animal in the telecom business and uh, making them my customers. And uh, I, uh, I became known as the captain of the company drinking team. And it worked well uh, uh, until it didn't. And um, 
I ended up growing the business over the next, uh, you know, almost 20 years. It, um, a lot of ups and downs, at great cost to myself, and I uh, ended up having to exit the business. And uh, I was lucky I got out alive and made, made some money. Um, but, but since then, it's been like kind of now what? And, um, you know, the company that I had for almost 20 years had become my identity to some extent. And so I would describe, you know, the last couple of years is me trying to figure out like what do I what do I want to be when I grow up and um, some of you here know about my ill-fated attempt to reinvent myself as a restaurateur uh, which when what I could only describe as one of the most humbling experiences of my life uh, it was it was clear that was not to be my path uh, so since then I've been doing uh, you know a little of this little of that some coach coaching and consulting and uh, with other entrepreneurs and then uh, doing some volunteering and, and but not really getting any traction anywhere and um, you know sprinkling a pandemic and the changes you go through uh, when you quit drinking and you lose your drinking buddies and then you know spending a year uh, taking care of your, your dad before he passes away um, things can get a little disorienting and you know I read uh, a quote some somewhere they called it getting wrapped around the axle and uh, that's what I felt like uh, I was growing through and just really rest, restless would be another a way to describe it. Um, so along the way, a few years back, I, uh, I had met a guy that, you know, was in the, in the telecom business too and through a friend and uh, he had also quit drinking and uh, he, you know, he kind of became my sponsor, sort of. And uh, his name is Noel and uh, he's about 80 years old and probably one of the most colorful characters I've ever met. Um, he grew up dirt poor in West Texas and uh, what, what could only be described as like a Hatfield and McCoy's type of feud. His father had gotten shot in the face with a shotgun and uh, was blind. And, and, and Noel uh, kind of grew up shoeless, holding a cup, begging for, for change on the street. Well, his daddy, you know, played the guitar or something crazy like that. And, uh, and so despite his humble beginnings, um, he became a larger-than-life guy and, and uh, you know, uh, built like one of the largest... Underground construction companies in the country, and he went went bankrupt a couple of times, divorced a couple of times, and and uh, finally got sober about 40 years ago, and um, so he started to do the the 12 steps with me, and um, I kind of got stuck on the one where you're supposed to make amends to to everybody, and uh, so we kind of like tailed off, and um, I hadn't talked to him for a little while, and uh, so a few months ago. Uh, in a moment of frustration, I, I reached out to him and asked if we could talk. And, uh, you know, I shared with him that I was struggling a little bit and asked if, you know, he could give me some perspective and advice and uh, share some of his wisdom. And, uh, you know, so I told him, look, I, you know, I'm, I'm uh, super blessed in so many ways. And, uh, you know, my, my, my wife is amazing. We, we dodged a bullet with, with cancer. And, you know, I couldn't be more proud of my kids. But, um, you know, I'm struggling with who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And, and in, in such a, you know, kind and loving way, he says to me in this uh, Texas accent, you know, well, Kevin, had we continued to work those steps, uh, eventually you would have gotten to step 11. And you ought to consider asking God, what does he want for your life? And uh, yeah, he, he told me I got to pray on it. And... Uh, so we talked for a little while longer, and then later that night, I, uh, you know, I googled uh, step 11, pulled it up on my phone. It's like a, 
you know, 10 page PDF and uh, it's like a, you know, it's like a chapter in a book. And um, in those 10 pages, there's actually only one sentence in the whole thing about drinking. And uh, it's really quite remarkable since I've been exposed to all the AA stuff that, you know, um, how the wisdom there is, is kind of just for the, you know, uh, within the, the alcoholic community and uh, really the broader community kind of needs to hear a lot of, a lot of the wisdom that's in there. But the description of the step is as follows. It says, uh, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And when I read that, I had one thought that came up for me. Um, Thy will be done, that, that connection to the Our Father. And uh, it goes on to talk about prayer and meditation, that for many of us, we use prayer as something that helps us primarily in emergencies, when, when we need something. And, uh, you know, I heard a saying once that the difference between prayer and meditation is that prayer is when we speak to God and, and meditation is, is, well, that's when God speaks to us. And it's what my favorite author, Matthew Kelly, calls sitting in the classroom of silence, which is coming to a place like this on a Tuesday afternoon when no one's around and leaving your cell phone in the car and, uh, and just sitting here and, and being still and just listening. And uh, he says, uh, you can learn more in an hour of silence than you can in a year from books. And uh, so I've been going to St. Mary's, you know, like that in the last couple of months, just, you know, random day, random times and, and just sitting by myself. And it's, uh, it's powerful and I, I'd recommend it to, to all of you. So that night, you know, when I spoke to my friend, I went, I went somewhere quiet and I reread step 11 twice. And then as it suggested, I, I prayed. And uh, the step goes on further to say that if you don't know how to pray, try starting with this one. And uh, here's the beginning of it anyways. And it says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. And they're telling us to pray for the grace to bring love, forgiveness, harmony, truth, faith, hope, and light wherever we go. And to be God's channel, allowing him to work through us. And uh, it's funny, when I read that, I felt like I was transported back to, uh, to OLV. Sister Helen Murphy's eighth grade class, we, we sung the, the, the Peace Prayer of St. Francis every day. Um, and uh, I never really connected with it, you know, until that night. And uh, in the same way, maybe I never really connected with the Our Father until uh, I read, read the words of that step um, that said, knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Or alternatively, thy will, not mine, be done. And uh, so that night I gave an honest effort, not just mailing it in, but to genuinely make you know, conscious contact with God and as it suggested. And I humbly asked, not for help or for things, but simply, uh, hey God, what is your plan for me? And uh, he didn't exactly answer, but I will tell you that what I felt could only be described as just being blanketed in, in comfort or warmth or that it's all good or, 
whatever. And, um, you know, later on, I reread the chapter again, and, and uh, you know, because there's so much wisdom there. Every time you read it, you, just, you unpack other stuff. And, and there's a third piece beyond just prayer and meditation that it talks about, which is self-reflection. And it says that we ought to take a good look at where we stand now and look at what might happen in our lives were we able to move closer to the ideals that St. Francis espouses. And then I came to the realization that I guess I was misunderstanding what my struggle really was about or what it should be about anyway. Um, my struggle is not about figuring out what I should do in the next phase of my life or the struggle for figuring out what my purpose is, but really about who am I being and um, am I being that channel for God? Am, am I bringing harmony where there's discord or, or am I the discord? Or Am I bringing forgiveness where there's been wrong or am I holding on to some stupid grudge for a long time? Or am I bringing hope where there's despair like all the amazing volunteers doing God's work here at the soup kitchen and outreach and, and things like that? And I guess for me, most importantly, is am I bringing my light into this messed up world, you know, kind of full of sadness? Because at the end of life, I believe there's only one question that we're gonna ask ourselves. And uh, is that, have I been kind? And so I guess what I've been trying to figure out and what I'm trying to keep in front of me each day is that if I can focus on how I'm being in life, how I'm behaving, asking myself, am I being that channel to allow God's light to shine through me, that somehow what I need to be doing will work itself out. And, or as the saying goes, we're human beings, not human doings. So I'm not gonna stand up here and say that I'm a change man or anything like that or that I'm doing anything so dramatically differently. But I will say that I've had a little more awareness when I'm acting like a jerk or when I've continued to say mad, stay mad over some issue that means nothing in the grand scheme of things or that I've not showed up as the person I say I want to be. And so I guess awareness is enough of a start and I go from there. And, uh, you know, I want to thank you for listening. And as I said earlier, that this is much about me needing to hear this myself as it is, you know, about sharing it with, with everyone here. And so what I would encourage everybody to do is whether you're in recovery and haven't looked at step 11 in a while or whether you've got no issues with drinking and so you've never really been exposed to any of the wisdom of the 12 steps is to Google step 11. And you'll have a bunch of things come up, but you wanna look for what looks, what looks like a chapter of the book and it starts with this sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Read it, reflect on it, and ask God what his, his will is for you, and then uh, sit quietly somewhere and see what happens. <laughs>